whole point of that was to talk about the minging side of Belamar that nobody talks about, you know, like when you're wiping like three day old watsits off yourself and stuff like that. And that became a kind of running joke. So I thought this is a really good chance to actually create something that, that weighs bare the whirlwind of emotions that, that it is, you know, to, to have a child and and to feel isolation and to, you know, feel the guilt of, of not being completely happy, which is such a strange guilt to feel because it just is, yeah. it, it's a vicious cycle, you know. Hello and welcome again to Tapping the Flow, episode number 16, 15, something like that. I don't know. I lost track myself. Uh, I'm not sure why there's some weird stuff happening at this particular point in our lives, as we all know. Um, anyway, that was the voice of Becky Wallace, who is a Glasgow-based singer-songwriter, producer and lecturer and a hugely important member of Scotland's songwriting community. She lends her skills to so many aspects of life and I think she just must be awake all the time. Even when she's asleep, I'm pretty sure she is wide awake. Um, as a songwriter, she has her own projects going on. She also lectures on BA commercial music and MA music at the University of West Scotland. She has an MA in songwriting as a PhD student researching hip-hop education. She works as a community musician helping young folk to find the inner part of themselves that's been silenced by their lives and give them some sort of sense of buoyancy and ability to transcend the often tough environments in which they grow up. She has some brilliant music on the go at the moment, including an album that's just come out called Present Tense. Go and listen to her music, it's great, and enjoy this podcast. I will say, towards the end of this, I asked her to play a song, and uh, we tried. We tried so hard to get it to happen in a moment, but her guitar was massively put out of tune by her children. Uh, and then uh, she tried to go to the keyboard to make that happen, and uh, the microphone fell apart. So uh, it might sound a bit weird at the end, but she came back to me with a, a wonderful song. Uh, before we launch into the conversation, as always, here is a song from the artist in question, Becky Wallace, uh, a song called The Water. And in this, you will just hear how absolutely true to the canvas she is, uh, pure passion, delivery, and there's a, a truth and a beauty to this. Tracking all my face 
Welcome to Tapping the Flow. I'm so happy you could make it. Hi. Um, I've had probably a totally insane, a fragmented week or everything's been mental. I've been making videos and stuff like that. My brain is an overload and my eyes are about to pop out of my head. And I, I really enjoying this sort of like feeling alive thing. And <laughs> I, I get the impression that you sort of uh, embody that spirit as well, like just like sailing on into the storm. And you love that. Where does that come from? Where does it really come from? I'm sure there's some deep-seated, like, formative reason for it. Um, to need to have control or always be on top of things or, like, say yes to everything and then do everything. Um, so, I don't know. I'm just, I've always been really, like, I don't need a lot of sleep, um, which is good and bad because I think my body secretly does. But um, I don't seem to need it from my mind, you know, and caffeine and pressure seem to work really well for me. So I've created the kind of kingdom that is balanced on caffeine and pressure, essentially. Um, but I like it that way. You know, I like to be busy and I like to challenge myself. I think it probably started by um, me saying yes to something I wasn't quite up to doing and then having to be good enough to do that thing and then that has continued probably something to do with adobe or photoshop <laughs> <laughs> i know i have a similar relationship to that sort of mindset i, I like it i go I, I come and go with it though you know but i think that this year has been particularly powerful for wanting to emerge from the pandemic in a sort of more powerful and more enlightened state to continue making music and to allow others to make music and i think that like one of my missions is, of course, just to make my own music have a place to exist, but also to help others do that. And I'm guessing that you're also part of that that drive in Glasgow, particularly to do that. 
Very much so, yeah. And like over time, that's become really quick. I've become quite passionate about that kind of the the collaborative element of being an artist in general, you know. Um, and I found a lot of love in, in community work, um, which I've been doing for, for a few, oh God, 10 years or so now. But um, so with, with the lockdown, I'd started to, started a, a collaborative songwriting group online, mm-hmm. uh, which kind of grew arms and legs. It was kind of modelled on a lecture in songwriting in a university and so it was kind of modeled on the program that we run and and we had been kind of shocked um by lockdown coming in march last year hmm. and forced to put everything online and the, the uh, level of the quality of work that was coming from the students was so beautiful and i just thought i need to share this process with other people it's brilliant you know and um it felt like being on a retreat but we were sitting in our in our rooms scared of this pandemic you know mm-hmm. so it was cool it was a really good that was a really good outlet and then at the same time i've been kind of trying to push in scotland especially in community in the world of communities um songwriting as a means of emotional literacy and uh, and kind of using songwriting as a bit of a bridge for um helping young people um, that that um perhaps need to develop their social or um, emotional skills in some way so i've been pushing forward to that as well during lockdown so i started my phd doing the hip-hop pedagogy mm-hmm. and community practice which is like talking about uh, bringing um, alternative music uh, practice specifically songwriting specifically hip-hop to young people in scotland um, before, like as a mode of early intervention before they leave school and or are thrown out of school to try and reach them, so to speak. <laughs> so, yeah, man, I'm all about that songwriting as a way to bring people together. Yeah, I, I, I totally, like for me, like exploring creativity and making it accessible for other people to enjoy is a, is a firm part of like my reason for doing this. Uh, and I agree with you, creativity should be for everybody to enjoy because... Some of us have a natural affinity with it, and some people are frustrated by it. But beyond that wall of frustration, there's a whole world of self-exploration for them to sort of get themselves out of their system and, and let go. Yeah. And we're so lucky. Like we, I, can't, I think creative folk, those who have come out as creative folk and have lived their life as creative folk, you know, we've been the lucky ones to tap into that really early. But, you know, everyone's got their own method of creativity, and just some people haven't had a chance to embrace it be that like you know building things or you know playing a sport or whatever like we all have these creative out- outlets but ours is the most kind of socially and by ours I mean song people <laughs> writers actors the performing arts like ours is the most um, socially accepted as a career almost you know in a weird way so we get to kind of play um, a lot later on in life and enjoy what creativity is supposed to be you know, where it's kind of um, uh, not the same for some other people, but especially young people, you know, that, that grow up in, uh, especially in Scotland, there's so so much poverty in Scotland, so there's so many young people growing up in quite difficult places. And, and it's kind of, I mean, I grew up in one of those places, so I know that it is not cool to be creative, or at least it's not seen as cool, you know. There is a lot of like, oh my God. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Why is this person who, who, singing? Who, like, look at the state of her. Who does she think she is? You know, like yeah, that's man. it. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. Like it's it's a weird one. Like I, lo- I come from a small town. Well, I grew up in a small town in Southwest Ireland, and like creativity is actually 
loved there. People like creativity, but it's nothing like what you're talking about. Like, I, I, are you from Glasgow originally? Y- yeah, I was yeah. born in Glasgow, yeah. Right. And so, I mean, it's hard to know where to dive in with you. I've got so many things I want to ask you, and I'm not sure how to even ask one question that encompasses them. Um, but like the first, I, I think we should start with where you grew up and stuff and how music came to you and how supported you felt and how you were able to support yourself in music. Yeah. Um, well, I grew up in a place called Hillington, which is in the kind of south um, west of Glasgow. It's uh, it's not not that nice a place. Uh, it's not a bad place, but it's you know it is what it is. Um, and but but I have a very strange family structure because we didn't have a lot as as children. Like we didn't have a lot. My dad had a job. My mum stayed at home. Um, just the usual kind of stuff. But um. But we did have a really strong musical background on my mum's side. She was from Ayrshire and my grandfather, my papa, he was uh, played in the Salvation Army band and he played the he played like um piano and he wrote a lot of the songs and the hymns uh, in like the sixties and seventies and stuff. And my gran, his wife, uh, they did a lot of touring and stuff. So, like, this is long before I was existed, but but it kind of was the backbone of my mum's musicality. So she's a beautiful singer, uh, my mum, but totally shy. I think at some point in her life, someone told her she was too loud and she took it to heart. <laughs> um, <laughs> so like she didn't really show that publicly, you know, that she was a good singer. But she was so into like kind of Stevie Wonder and David Bowie and Carole King and Joni Mitchell and, you know, all these solid, solid songwriters from the 70s. Um, and she just loved harmonies. So there was that side which really came through naturally musical. On my dad's side, um, not so musical. Um, into classical music, they were more academics mm-hmm. um, back back way. And uh, so they didn't really deal, they didn't do pop culture. You know, they were like Adorno types. <laughs> but um, my grandmother, his mum, loved musicals. So Sound of Music, Wizards of Oz and all that. So when I was, I was like the only girl in our family. So um, so I would get taken to see all these films and, you know, pulled out in front of distant relatives to sing songs like yeah. Somewhere Over the Rainbow and all that. So I got like totally into Judy Garland. That was my first obsession when I was a kid. Uh, when I was really young, I just remember being obsessed with her and her whole kind of, tragic story and and i kind of when i started writing i think even when i'm talking when i was five six writing because i was writing like you yeah. know making up songs and stuff like um i really i i, I felt a uh, i felt a camaraderie with that tragedy even though it wasn't something i was personally experiencing at the time i did go on to make sure that i had more tragedies later in life but that was more you know <laughs> self-destruction yeah but um, so that was that really on and then i got into musical theater because i loved that so i was playing like on the stage and stuff like that when I was a wee girl in church and all that, you know, but I loved it. I just, I've always been into performing, mm-hmm. um, but it totally morphed and changed. I got older and got to know myself a lot better, you know, and I, I've cast those musical theatre roots aside a long time ago um, <laughs> for, for, for various reasons mm-hmm. um, and started songwriting, you know. So that's kind of how it all started. So there was music around me a lot. 
but there wasn't anyone that was like I didn't have like a, my mum wasn't pushy or like doing anything like that. It was just kind of there, and I just did it. Yeah, you were surrounded by music, but it, like, yeah. like it sounds like your grandfather was involved in in what would be community music, though, right? If it's the Salvation Army. In a lot of ways, yeah, yeah, it was, and and like so we've got like we're one of those classic, you know, Catholic Protestant crossovers in our mm-hmm. household, which in Scotland, and my mum would always say, you know, if this was Ireland, you know, <laughs> you know the usual stuff, but um. So my dad's super, super Catholic and his whole family were. My mum, Protestant, but they did the whole Salvation Army thing and that was beautiful. It was a beautiful kind of community-spirited mm. thing that they had going on. Mm. Um, but obviously when we, my, when my mum married my dad, we all had to become Catholic, including her. Um, so I didn't really get to see that, that side of things myself, you know. Uh, but my papa uh, kept a piano in his house and he played all those kind of old jazz chords and you know, sang with that crooner voice you can imagine if somebody that was born in the 20s, like, would have. So mm-hmm. uh, he was the, the full ticket, slick back hair, you know, the whole shebang. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, so it, it, it's, um at some point, you say you dropped the musical theatre and started uh, songwriting, which in itself is a different kind of theatre. Was that based upon a desire within you to sort of speak about something that happened to you personally? Yeah, um, I mean... So I did theatre, I went to stage school, I used to go to stage school after school every day and I did that up till I was about 15 and then I went to study musical theatre. I was already writing other songs by this point too because I'd started getting into like Jeff Buckley and Johnny Cash and smoking weed and, yeah. you know, like I, I did all the stuff that you're, you're not supposed to do quite young because mm-hmm. um, I always just had that like a rebellious streak in me to get away and I did. I mean, I ended up leaving home when I was 15 for various reasons and uh, all to do with me and my kind of need to be to be out there just you know part of it all so I left home really young and I started studying musical theatre just at college level mm. and whilst I was there like I had so, so many big life shifts because obviously I was living on my own and I was working I got a job straight away in a, in a wee cafe and so I was working in a cafe and I was living on my own and I was seeing guys and doing all this stuff and and the the world of musical theatre started to become so um there wasn't enough truth in it. Do you know what I mean? Like I just couldn't I I, and I started to get annoyed at the people around me, just like, oh I hate this, I hate this, not me. Um and from there I just um got more and more into writing and and started to to gig. Yeah, I started gigging when I was about fifteen, sixteen. Um, and pubs and clubs and stuff like that and just playing and singing and writing and learning you know writing all my woes down yeah but I certainly always had this need to share like I probably an oversharer you might have noticed what I've been talking for like 10 minutes uh, that much up. that's the point <laughs> keep keep going keep it going we're only getting started here <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, I always had that need to share, mm. and it would at first it would come out as kind of forlorn love songs, I guess. Yeah. But then as I got older and kind of understood the craft a wee bit more and, and had more things to see, like I've, I've I did an English degree and stuff like that. I was always really into um words and just kind of <laughs> that was a funny way to say that, like <laughs> not knowing what to say, um and just like how we can form form kind of meaning out of of randomness and and kind of create imagery that that has layers and layers of meaning in it so as I got older and started to study songwriting and stuff like that I got much more into 
writing songs that had like layers of emotion, like mm-hmm. levels of understanding, you know, mm-hmm. and that would mostly come from the lyrical uh, expression, but also I had that theatre background, so I've always been like good with the voice and performing that as well, you know, which has been helpful. Yeah. Um... I, I'm a big fan of wordplay myself, to be honest. I think that you can combine words and create a whole new scenario for the existence of them, you know. Um, but it's it's interesting that, like, again, it's a multi-layered story you're telling here of someone who left home at 15 and you left home with a desire to pursue something that wasn't what you wanted to pursue. And through pursuing that, you discovered that you needed the music to then process your lack of being at home, I suppose, in some ways, initially. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not a secret in my world, but... I left home when I was really young. I've got into a bad crowd um, before I left home and I ended up in a really weird situation and I was living with someone mm-hmm. who was my age now and okay, uh, yeah. and I was like, you know, all that stuff. So um, so when I left home, I was kind of like, it was all just a bit of a joke to the system and I, yeah, you're right, I was just like trying to find, find uh, anything really. Mm. Um, so I'd, I left school as well when I left home, so I left with nothing, you know. And uh, so then I was like, well, I need to work, and it became a kind of. I think this is. I think this is where that person we were talking about at the start comes from. So I had this kind of urge to also prove that I wasn't going to have to go back and that I would be able to be on my own. So all that stuff kind of feeds into the the hero journey, doesn't it? So mm. um, so yeah, from there, I guess singing someone else's words or like you know expressing yourself through someone the lens of someone else through creating a character i understand if you're really good at that then you can totally have this kind of existential you know self-discovery experience Mm -hmm. but for me it was just like i really love this thing but i don't like doing it this way you know Mm -hmm. like i need i need to start uh, getting yeah and i guess it's the catharsis of writing as well isn't it so creating space for for me to work through my shit yeah can i swear can i swear you can fucking swear all you like i don't give a shit it's fine that's helpful it is helpful isn't it again we're talking about the beauty of beauty of words but some words you can't do anything about you need them yeah swear away girl no worries at all um the thing is like that it's I, I suppose you are the embodiment of the people you're trying to help as well in some ways with your now community songwriting, which is why you become a community songwriting person. What does that mean, community songwriting? Is there a... um, well, I mean, it's it's a form of, of community um, activism or, or community work, essentially. And being working in the community is, is essential, especially as an artist, is essentially a, a form of adult learning, usually sometimes young person as well. It's a way of skill sharing and kind of trying to develop someone's self out with just, you know, the need for this to then be a job or there's a qualification at the end of this. So it's about tapping into another part of someone. Mm. But a lot of the time, like community artists are kind of umbrellaed in as as kind of third sector organisations are kind of umbrellaed in to places where there's, you know, poverty or, or, Mm -hmm. you know, disparity between the rich and poor. And then... They're kind of uh, they put on a project, and uh, I've got a lot of problems with a lot of community workers. But I'm totally freelance, but like um, a lot of the time, the project and making the project looks look good can kind of supersede the person and the kind of personal growth. So mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff I do is about kind of person centered approaches to to development, and I think and just being able to to 
to talk through emotions. Mm -hmm. So that's not what all community work is. I mean, it varies, you know. Some people go into communities because they're wanting to give them courses on specific things like sex ed or this or that. Some people go into communities because they want to do adult learning. They want to teach people how to apply for jobs. There's so many things. There's just a kind of way to talk to people who are, you know, looking for other people to learn from or work with, you know, I guess. Yeah. It's just such a broad term, really, isn't it, when you really think about it? It's very broad. And I, and I wonder, like, if you're brought in after a after they've tried to solve a problem and then they say, what can we use to solve this? Should we use songwriting as a way to solve this? Or do you then, do you go in and say, how about trying this? Well, um, this is exactly what I'm working towards now with my PhD because my experience has been that the the arts specifically are brought in as a last chance, like the last bastion of hope, yeah. you know, or, oh, f- fuck it, we'll just give them songwriting because, you know, mm. who cares? They're not going to want it anyway, you know, whatever. Mm. Uh, especially I've worked a, lot, worked a lot and working a lot in the future with young men and young women who are, you know, 15 to, to 21, for instance, and have been kind of on the cusp of uh, being able to get a job, but too old to stay at school because of their behaviour and so on and so forth. And so my thought is, why do we do this after the fact? Like, why is so much community work the alternative approach but the alternative approach doesn't get tried until after these people have already slipped through the net so to speak you know especially with young people and especially with things like the arts and music which is so slow within for instance secondary schools like the the rate of change in terms of curriculum in secondary schools for how we teach young people who are living in a totally different world from the curriculum that they get specifically within music Mm. and within the arts um you know we're, we're kind of we're not given we're not allowing them the chance to know what it's like to be creative at the right time and then you know the umbrella organizations come in and they use creativity as a way to you know highlight the place that they're from or show you know show that they can you know get together and create yeah. something anything so it's, it's like they, they have a list here of things we've tried and at the bottom there's oh let's try community songwriting yeah and then we let's can say we've done arts, everything so. it's it's a it should be um preemptive shouldn't it like there should be some sort of like you should be in there from the start like for myself in school i you know i was i didn't really enjoy school i, I didn't pass music in school or anything like that but there was a point when i went to career studies and music wasn't mentioned to me you know it wasn't until i was 21 that i actually discovered i could go to a music college and and the three the, the years preceding that, I was just drinking all the time, you know. So yeah, you know, I, I, like I... it's true, it's true, and it's so friendly. I mean, in my family, the focus, although I, there was this musical past, the focus was totally on academia. Mm-hmm. Um, so like obviously, I was a disappointment at first because I left school with nothing and all that, and I yeah. had to go back to college and do my hires, and then I got really good grades. So then I this is when I when I was in my twenties. So then I I got you know grades that would get me into any university in Britain and of course all I really wanted to do was write songs but I felt like I better go and do English literature because like that's the academic thing to do you know it's like you're never um you almost feel like you're not doing yourself any favors if you just indulge your creativity but actually you know I, I didn't actually become happy or grounded until I went and studied mm. 
songwriting, commercial music and songwriting. And I didn't realise that there was this whole... I didn't know about musicology. I didn't know about popular music discourse or culture or, mm. you know, the books that had been written and, you know, like Simon Frith and Roy Shuker and all these people who wrote all these books about you know, pop music and, and mm. its place and culture in society. I didn't know anything about that. I just thought it was the stuff on telly and then real life was like read books and learn stuff and you know, where you know, there's a whole academic field that that's to do with pop music, but it doesn't exist in early years and it doesn't exist in secondary school and you just kinda have to find it. <laughs> you yeah. know? Nuts. That is nuts. I mean, and I know in like in Europe they study philosophy as well, and we didn't study philosophy in school. That would have been very useful to study that. You know? Totally right. It, it's almost <laughs> like the musical education we received in school was used as a means of control rather than a means of expression, and and that, that's the problem I have. Like we homeschool our son. Our son is eight years of age, and we homeschool him because we don't want him to lose his creativity. And I know that at some point creativity does seem to become like you don't need that so much. You need to become this. This is you. You know, I think yeah. that's awesome, man. I really do. Um, my kids are four and two, so we've not had to think about that yet. But ah. but I can totally understand why you would do that. Um, especially that point about losing creativity and yeah, why is it kind of blocked off? And it really is. I don't think you're exaggerating by saying that. You know, mm. like there is there is kind of almost an active push to 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 block off that channel from the brain. From a young age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can only speak from experience. And like, I wasn't, I, I failed music. I, like, because it wasn't, that wasn't why I needed music. It wasn't to pass an exam or anything like that. I needed music to express my inner self. And I had yeah. to come back to that, you know. Um, so we do need, to, I think you're in a good place to do something about it. How was the response from the Scottish government and the arts councils on that for you? Um, well, you know, there's, there's quite a robust... Um, funding body in Scotland called Creative Scotland right? Um, who are funded specifically by the Scottish Government and they kind of divvy out funds to creatives um, so in terms of like um, creatives over the age of 18 or like adult, um, adult entrepreneurs or creative people there is quite a lot there um, but it's because of because of the lack of filtering through education and kind of and the kind of disconnect from young people in general that we have mm. as a society um it, a lot of that funding goes to a very small group of small mm. kind of small in terms of the the actual vision of, of the creativity in scotland but for younger kids um i think i can't remember the exact figures for last year but i know 2017 there was a 40 percent cut in creative funding a lot of that came specifically to music um, and there's also been like a rise in uh, students having to pay again for tuition for music tuition in general which obviously has a right. complete um you know knock-on effect to those who can't afford to do so so it kind of it, it's almost like a, a class system for music within um yeah within scottish schools which, which is a, which is terrible but like i'm hoping i mean my, my research is specific to hip-hop but it but it's really community music I'm talking about, and it's really about targeting, like using this early on, like early in the curriculum from mm -hmm. the age of like seven up to seventeen, yeah, as a way to to teach not just music but English and yeah. um, kind of literacy and 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 other things like that to sort of like um, um, hip hop kind of thing. Hip hop, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sort of like that man, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
I think it's a wonderful thing to be engaged in. And obviously you've seen it from the inside out as well. So you know it. Um, talk to me about your educational thing, though, because you're, uh, you educate, you work as a, uh, a lecturer in commercial songwriting, right? Is that correct? Yeah. So how, how does it work? Because obviously commercial songwriting could be seen to be the stuff that's in the charts. But when I listen to your music, your music is not pretending to be anything but that which it needs to be. So you must have a very lucky class to have someone like you at the helm. <laughs> I, I, um, <laughs> I'm sure they, they don't feel that way, but I'm sure they do. Um, well, it's, so like anything, I guess, uh, when you're trying to put something down on paper and look at it and go, what does all this mean? When you look at the formulas and structures around songwriting in general, they're, they, they are formulaic. We do live in a society where we use similar language for most things. We use similar structures for most things. So in terms of teaching songwriting from, we're talking about from first year at university up to master's level, mm-hmm. there's it's a total different beast from year one than it is, you know, up an ME level. So in year one, we're looking at the basics. We're looking at things like lyric. We're looking at how um, lyrics pit um, lyrics are kind of transferable and and have different personalities depending on the genre of music and how we can kind of see these and understand them and then we obviously look at things like cliches and how do we see these things differently Mm. and how can we start to imagine but we also look at structure and form and genre so i mean it's for me like i've got a lot of students who are pop writers and they're going to write pop music and that's mm. totally cool and so for me like my job is to make sure that they understand the kind of structural language of pop and are able to create something that feels unique for them and mm. and you know isn't just another pop song like <laughs> which we don't need i guess yeah um and then obviously there's totally different things that we look at when we start looking at pop music within culture and then that kind of expands the songwriting process you know like if you're talking about folk music or hip-hop, then what are we doing here? We're talking about grand narratives. We're talking about, you know, storytelling and poetry and all that stuff. So that all comes into it. And kind of then once the the students get into second and even more so third year at university, they start looking at conceptual songwriting. So there we start to really embed, like, strong concepts um, that are more creative than they are industry. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of tie that up with industry standard writing practices. So mm-hmm. they kind of are forced to write a song within a certain amount of time and get it to a certain level of production. Yeah. So it's like a, a crossover that my one of my great friends and colleagues, Davy Scott, who I work with, who was my mentor for a long time, um, and at one point was my, my lecturer, actually, back in the day, um, he writes in it for a pop band called the Pearl Fishers, and they've got you know quite a lot of success in Scotland. They've been around for twenty five or so years, right. and he writes pop music, right? But like, like old school pop, like Burt Bacharach style, like Carpenter style pop music. Mm-hmm. But um, like he could listen to any form, and he taught me a lot, like just listening to music and understanding it for the person, the artist who's creating it. So as we get closer to master's level, in terms of teaching, you're looking at each person individually and their artistry. And if what they want to do is be a pop musician, musician, then, you know, we know how to mould that or help that. If what they want to do is, you know, throat singing or, or you know, 50 minute long loops, then we can still appreciate that for, you know, what yeah. it is musically for them. So, again, it's about that 
person-centered approach to writing in general for me there's a lot of resistance when it comes to pop songwriting like i can do it i can i can do it fine like and i've done it in the past and i'll probably do it again but there's a resistance to it and uh i find that the as you call them sort of like how did you term it the creative sort of like the conceptual idea for songs and and structure and things like that is far more appealing to my uh as a vessel for me to express myself and i know for you it is as well for listening to your music and it's damn sure (laughs) But, you know, at the same time, so being from a songwriting background, if you take away all the conceptual ideas and the and the uh, production and stuff, you're still left with a really good song. And I think is that's what you're talking about, finding the best language to suit that. Exactly. It's like this is a total cliche, but you've got to kind of learn the rules before you can break them. So in a weird yeah. way, for some people, it's like... Um, like a lot of, of, of the students are coming in totally dry and they've never written a song before. And it's been so funny to me over the years to see that much like any job or stage of development or growth, there is a total clear map of what the songwriting development and growth yeah. like kind of map is, you know. And so when people first start writing, especially young women, but guys as well and, and other, but, you know, when they first start writing, um, they would be talking a lot about really grand gestures like I just can't do this anymore and this life and you know all this stuff and it's really linear and quite cliche and often I say this to my partner all the time who's also a songwriter like they use the word this in place of any sort of feeling or like you know it's like this is not this is this and this is that and mm. you know you can see the lyrics as they're becoming and and also of course the chord sequences but you know, everyone goes for their CGD. But I mean, that that's still, I still do that now. It's okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> but then you can see as they kind of grow as artists and find ways to find their own voice. So you know, I, it's a beautiful thing to see, and and it's a process that that's unique for everybody, but has certain kind of fundamental rules that, that don't change you know yeah yeah i'm a firm believer that to, you know to think outside the box you need to know what the can, the box contains before you can what's do that in the box yeah, yeah. What's, you know otherwise how are you going to know you're thinking outside the box unless you already know it's in the box it's not possible yeah. to do that and you're retrofitting that as well a lot right i yeah. mean i'm not going to sit here and kid on i haven't written you know hundreds of songs before i went and started songwriting you know like so it's retrofitting meaning as well but the one thing that like doesn't happen so much to me now that used to happen a lot. I mean, I've got books all around here, all around this room. Yeah. Going back twenty years, right? Nice. Filled with words, right? And like, <laughs> a lot of the time, you've got these four killer lines, beautiful, beautiful thoughts, lines, and then nothing for two years, three years, you know. And so, like, a lot of like what we're teaching as well is like how to em- embrace. your creativity when you need to have it you know it's like your toolkit is sharpened Mm -hmm. and you're ready to go Mm -hmm. no matter what you know and Mm -hmm. I think that's that's really helpful and task-based songwriting does that because you get to detach yourself from it it's not like go and write me a song about love go and then you've just got to sit there and think about your feelings it's like here's a character Mm -hmm. here's their story go and write a song that's from their mother's perspective okay go (laughs) And then suddenly there's all this other stuff they've got to think about so they can detach their feelings. Their feelings still come out subconsciously, so it's still got that personality. Yeah, yeah. 
it's it's like it's like um, a wild horse goes running past and you lasso it and all of a sudden you're being dragged along by it. You know, that's that's how I feel about exactly. that kind of stuff. It's a it's a funny one. Like, <laughs> I I because I, I I have I I'm published and I'm, my publisher sends me briefs and I can write a song within about three days with that, like fully produced and stuff like that. But when it came to my own songwriting, I've been struggling for a couple of years. I had been struggling, like, but then I did a songwriting course, uh, a workshop, like a few weeks ago with Chris Difford and. Uh, I thought it was going to be one of these things where you sit down and you take a topic and you write a song about it. But the first thing he asked us to do was to set our intention for what we would like to get out of this. And then he did what you're talking about, which was say, well, you need to write a song about a character from your town where you grew up and stuff like that. So I started that. I ended up with something completely different. But the act of opening the door to being in the creative flow was that's what started that, you know. Absolutely, yeah, and those kind of things are so good for that, you know. Chris, I was actually supposed to go to one of his at the start of lockdown, but it didn't oh, happen. Sadly. All right, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, those things exist. Actually, funnily enough, I don't mean to plug, but we, me and my creative partner Rosie Bands, we run a songwriting retreat online as well. Called Song Seeds. Yes, oh, I was going to get to that. <laughs> well, I was going to get to that. Yeah, because it looks really cool. Like, it's uh, how often do you do that? Every two months. So right. we've been doing it since last August. Right. And we got Creative Scotland funding. Nice. Uh, to do it properly. So uh, so we've kind of created this little world. We've got like, we have mm-hmm. an industry guest. But like, I'm really, t- like, I send to my industry guest like a big letter and it's like, right, because I've experienced in other songwriting retreats, uh, this thing where there's like an industry person and they spend quite a lot of time just going, these are all, these are the list of things that I've done, you yeah. know? And like as much as that's super cool, we had a guy in. I better not say too much. But I recently had a guy in, not in song season, another group that I work with who had worked with Paul McCartney, and he was like uh-huh. an old school writer. But he just told us stories about being famous, and then like one of my students uh, kind of asked, you know, what what advice would you give to us? And his answer was just like. It, you know, it's really down to who you know was the answer, you know, so it was just like, you know, the whole thing we just felt like a bit like oh. unneeded and kind of, you know, redundant. So anyway, with our guest speakers, like we really push this idea that they're coming in to talk about their songwriting and then set a task. So they have to like um, talk about like one very specific point of the songwriting. It could be anything, mm. anything they do. It could be mm. wordplay, structure or whatever they want. And then set a task based on it. So we have that and then three other days of applied facilitated songwriting as well, uh, which is really cool. It's good fun. Brilliant. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's um, how many people go to that? So we cap it at 14 and we've been sold out like every time, which has yeah. been awesome. Can you do them in um, person? No. You actually well, that, so that'll be the next stage. So, so we yeah. got funding through COVID for it and you had yeah. to very, very explicitly show that it was... Um, you know, viable um, digitally, but um, Catherine Rudy, for instance, is someone that I met at a songwriting retreat, right. and we've been retreating with each other for about five years. So we've been doing a lot of retreats, which we put on ourselves, yeah, under the banner of Fresh Tracks, Unknown Animal. So um, the whole plan of Song Seeds would be then to make it a physical thing that happened yeah. twice, maybe three times a year. Um, hopefully, starting next year, we'll see. Oh, it's very cool. It's very cool. Well, I'm, I'm sure that when you do it, you're going to be teaching not just like write a song about a light bulb and make a hit, but how to make a song that means something to you. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And I, I'm, it's totally peer led. So I facilitate it, but I take part in it. 
Nice. I write songs as well, you know, because it, I need that space for creativity, you know, and it's like mm. if you want something done, do it yourself. So yeah. um, having that pressure as well of those writers, I mean, a lot of Scot- big writers in Scotland have been to the Song Stage Retreat, so there's that pressure, you know, like, oh, my God, this person's here, I better make sure I'm good yeah. this time. <laughs> I, better, I better make sure I write some good songs, you know. Yeah. <laughs> how, how amazing is the Scottish music scene? I mean, this is probably a reflective question, but it is pretty incredible how... Uh, adventurous it is and how in touch with itself yeah so much so and honestly dude um i could literally give you the name of the the guy that is the reason for that his name's mark mcgee um shout outs to mark mcgee if you're listening but um mark mcgee about 10 years ago started this thing called jam fest and he's just, you're, he's just a Jack the Lad dude from Kilmarnock. He's in a great band called the Gyro Babies. Right. And another band called Jacko Trades. He's a kind, he's like the underground Scottish artist. So he's right. like, he like lives off the underground, you know. And um, and he just started to do this thing where, so like hip hop artists, folk artists, comedian, all this have come together for this big gig. And it sounds crazy, but it hadn't really been done before. So like, I was gigging, I've been gigging since I was like 16 mm. and there were scenes, right? There was like the indie scene, the folk scene, you know, the older folk, more serious jam guys and mm-hmm. so on and so forth, all these little scenes and they do their thing. But, um, and my part, my husband now, but my, my husband, I met him um, when I was playing a gig up in Inverness and he invited me to come to play at a hip-hop gig he was he was in the pub and he saw me met me and asked me to come and play this hip-hop gig right and cool. so i was playing my guitar like i was a singer songwriter so i was playing my guitar and singing everyone else that was playing on the bill was a rapper and like i was totally against scottish rap at this point because i was just a wee drafty really and i was like oh my god scottish rap is just awful <laughs> uh so <laughs> Just not, didn't have a clue. I was only like 17, 18. And so uh, I played the gig and all these big guys, these big rapper guys stood and they watched me and they listened. And afterwards they critiqued my music and they talked to me about it. It was really awesome. You know, it was my first ever experience hmm. of a scene that um, were welcoming to other folk out with their scene. And then and I paid them in kind by going out and having a fag every time someone was up rapping, because that's the kind of person I was back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, before I learned, you know, understood yeah. music better. Yeah. But anyway, through this scene, I met this guy, Mark, and he started these nights because he was in uh, this indie band called the Gyro Babies, but he really loved Scottish hip-hop. So he started to slowly but surely bring hip-hop into this vein. Hip-hop had always been like a satellite scene. Like, it was always something else, you know. In Scotland and kind of everywhere, hip-hop's got its own thing going on, you know, yeah. and they've got their own scene, they do their own things. And, but in Scotland, starting in Glasgow, and a wee bit in Dundee too, actually, um, that scene started to kind of filter into the main scene. And then Mark kind of developed these nights, which then became festival tents. So you put on like jam fest, uh, festival tents, mm-hmm. where you'd have all these different acts playing. And honestly, within about five years, I remember seeing my first student who was, she's now in a big band called The Girl Who Cried Wolf, Lauren. I remember seeing my first student and she was doing a, her songwriting thing and she did this lovely little posh voice and she started rapping during this folk song right yeah. and i was like what's going on man <laughs> and suddenly realized that there had been this massive shift in the scottish music scene 
it's so ancestral in terms of genre now. There's so much crossover. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful, you know, like it's such a it's such a creative and dynamic environment because nothing is off limits, you know. And so suddenly there's just really the the nights will I mean, I'm hoping they'll still be electric when we get back to them, but yeah. it, it's really electric a lot of it because it's you don't know what you're gonna get. You it's know, a, it's so yeah. It's like a constantly evolving super baby that absorbs all these influences and just gets more powerful, you know. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And that's beautiful, you know, and, and I think that's why there's so many different kind of creative voices in Scotland and a lot of, of kind of strong creative female voices as well because there's not been... There's still... We still have our own problems up here, but there's not been this assigned aesthetic mm-hmm especially in the underground community mm. for for the, the correct kind of, mm. of voice for for female artists and for all artists, really, which is great. Yeah, London is so, sort of ruined by that. I think there's a lot of pressure on, on and, and particularly women, unfortunately, have to conform to a certain ideal to be even getting the gigs, you know. And I know that Scotland isn't like that because there's some incredible Scottish musicians. Uh, Catherine Rudy's album as well is brilliant, you well, know, it's... What a work of Catherine art. is a genius. She a is. A genius. And I cannot, you know, I've spent so much time with Catherine and the the best time we ever spend together is when we're sitting at a ridiculous time in the evening with guitars just singing, you know. Um, she's just, she's she is, she's a genius. The way she uses words mm. is, it's an, art, it's an artist speaking, isn't it? Like, mm. she's, just, she's just got something going on that's quite, quite unique. I love her. Yeah, she's Can't amazing. Yeah, Catherine, yeah. I'm looking forward to her next record whenever that might come. We should Catherine see. Catherine and I have got a record coming out. Actually. Have you now? Nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm not sure exactly when it will be. Probably just uh, the, the beginning of spring at some point, maybe April. So. Wow. That. Cool, yeah. cool, cool. Well, she's back in back in scotland so there you go you've got her I back know, it's amazing it's amazing <laughs> yeah. i'm so happy like i can't wait to take her to all the gigs and she's come she's come in the middle of lockdown so it's like yeah she says she feels like a ghost just yeah. kind of haunting the city which i love yeah yeah um yeah. But once once we we can get into the the nitty gritty again, that's we will. that's that's coming like i think the mission now is to try and uh, evolve some set of gigs potential that are able to morph between being attendable and not being attendable you know what i mean so yeah. we can we can have like oh this week there's a lockdown so we're gonna we're gonna stream it or next week there's no lockdown so you can all come you know we need to be like that absolutely man absolutely i'm actually going to play a gig tomorrow in an empty venue which oh, yeah. is pre-record for for something that's happening later in the year yeah so that's been this would be my, my third gig in an empty venue that's been mm-hmm. digitally digitally put out which is great so there's a few places like that up here that is it is that. it going to be live streamed i mean not live but streamed as if it's live streamed yeah yeah, yeah it'll be streamed live yeah as that's part of the that's festival. that's what i'm trying to do here i'm in a place called woodbridge in suffolk and i've just moved here and i've i went into the local church to play a song last week and what i want them to do is to allow me to play a full set so that I can then um, stream it and try to build it up as a venue for people to come and play. So you'll have That's to come down. That's a beautiful down. idea. And I think like yeah. these little niche niche venues will get more and more uh, in vogue as well, like as we yeah. kind of change the paradigm of how all this works, you know? <laughs> well, we've got Brexit to contend with as well, ruining our sort of ability <sighs> to do gigs in the way we used to do them. So it's not just that, but they can blame it on COVID and uh, vice versa. You know what I mean? 
Um, yeah, mate. Talk, talk to me about the cathartic nature of your music, because I presumably it's still very, very cathartic to you. You have an album now called Present Tense, right? That's Is that out? It's out, yep, yep. It came out in, in November, um, and I'm just in the process of releasing singles from it. So the next single's out in March, and then there's one out in May, and then I'll be moving on to something new. All <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. What was the process but, behind that? Well, it's... Um, yeah, it's a really emotional album, actually. Like, um, it's hard to express, really. Um, I'd not written in a few years. Obviously, I've got two kids. Um, mm. I'd kind of been thrust into motherhood, like most mothers are and parents are in general. Mm. So, you know, I, I was riding a bit of a wave after my first album. It had quite a bit of success and, and a wee bit of, a good bit of radio play. And PRS was my friend. And I was like, right, cool, I'm in a good place here, you know. And then uh, I got pregnant and, and I had my first child and that was cool. Um, and after my first child, I was able to still do a lot of gigging and stuff, you know, and, you know, make it work kind of thing. And and then after my second child, it was very quickly became apparent that, that, that you know, um, that wasn't going to happen anymore. Um, and also my husband happens to be an artist too, and he had written a book and just after my second child was born, his book got picked up and he won a really prestigious prize. He won the Orwell Prize. And so he disappeared because right. he was, you know, it just, that was him. He was everywhere doing conferences, chat, blah, blah. And I was kind of at home with these two kids and it got a bit bleak for a while. Um, mm. So that's not nobody's fault, you know, that's just life, how mm. it is. And so, and I didn't write for a while, but I also I wasn't really connecting with my, my daughter and mm-hmm. just having a hard time with it, you know? And um, so, so yeah, about two years, I think I didn't pick up a pen. But in that time, I was teaching still. So that was a bit of a bone of contention <laughs> because I was going and talking to people about music. It probably saved me as well, mm-hmm. though, because I was still in a musical environment. So I was going and talking about music and writing and watching people write and perform and blah, blah. I was going home to the kids and it was all just like arrangements and getting from one side of the city to the other and picking people up and baby, you know all the stuff that comes with it and sleepless yeah. nights you know which I didn't mind so much like I'm the kind of person once my kids go to bed I'll stay up for seven eight hours and write and do stuff that's how I work <coughs> hence the no sleep yeah but uh so so yeah man it just I just got in a bit of a dark place with it and just before I had had my first child I bought myself a loop pedal mm-hmm. and so the thing about those nights when I was just kind of on my own is I started having time to mess about with that um <coughs> excuse me sorry so I started playing about with my loop pedal and it, it went through something that I just found totally alien and unable to use to something that was I was I ended up doing a lot of writing on because it was so mm-hmm. accessible and it was all very vocal based and harmony based and stuff like that so I started to gig again and I was doing a lot of like loop pedal freestyles uh, so like you know just playing about with it on stage and gigging with it like that then I started doing some community work with women in recovery and um, there was a lot of really personal stories obviously were shared there and we wrote an album and and then from that uh, I, I was using my loop pedal again a lot to, to back them up so they could perform yeah and then finally my my good friend and poet friend of mine catherine not not catherine but another catherine got in touch with me and she asked me to write a song about a swan for this festival we were doing she was like do you want to 
I need you to come up dressed as a swan to this <laughs> festival. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I think you can tell that I didn't do that, yeah. but I did write the song. Yeah, <laughs> I did yeah. write the song. And honestly, man, I, like it was like a deluge. Like I, I started writing and I couldn't stop. So the swan became this metaphor for everything that was happening. It was like mm. this you know, this idea of this bird that looks so graceful and is, you know, people always say this stuff to you when you've had kids. Oh my God, you're doing so well. You're on it. You're totally on it, man. Yeah. I can't believe how on it you are. And you're like, I'm not on it. I'm not on it. I'm going mad, man. <laughs> like, yeah. I've not washed in a week. And I just like, you know, like, it's all fake, all of it, you know. And um, and so that became such a clear metaphor for me and it just broke the floodgates, man. Yeah. So they're just kind of furiously pedaling to keep afloat. And then I realised like, I've kind of got a platform in a way and I thought look if I'm going to write about something that needs to be about this because this is what I'm feeling mm -hmm. and this is what I've got to share and also a side note from this I'd started a stupid wee hashtag on on social media more life Scottish like being a more more yeah, so life, yeah. life yeah and that had totally taken off and the whole point of that was like to talk about the the minging side of being a mom that nobody talks about, you know, nice. like when you're yeah. wiping yeah. like three day old wotsits yeah. out, out of yourself and stuff like that. And that became a kind of running joke. So I thought this is a really good chance to actually create something that, that weighs bare the whirlwind of emotions that, mm. that it is, you know, to, to have a child and, and to feel isolation and to, you know, it, feel the guilt of of not being completely happy which is such a strange guilt to feel because it yeah. just is it, it's a vicious cycle you know and then yeah and actually when I started writing again I got to a place where I started going to therapy and really getting into what was going on so a lot of clarity came from that and so I hope that kind of came through in the album uh, because I was trying to create a kind of a wave like a journey of emotion you know that when you come out the other end there's like yeah. a sense of peace and understanding and acceptance. And I think it's like anything, you know, like we don't like change. Humans don't like change. And like it can take us a while to, I've mm. been living 15 years by this point on my own, mm. traveling the world yeah, yeah, yeah. on my own, you know, like just totally free, you know, doing all the things that young people do. So it took me about three or four years to adjust to the change and actually be me again you know mm -hmm. which was was nuts and hopefully me 2.0 but that's what present tense was about so i just got to a point with it i was saying to my mentor davy this is totally melancholy and i just have to go with it because mm -hmm. that's what it is you know there's no other way of of putting this out except the way that I did so yeah so so the whole thing i tried to really delve into the soundscapes that that felt that had a sense of harshness to them, mm -hmm. but also had that kind of um, very vocal and expansive melodic kind of flow to them, you know. So at points it's it's quite juxtaposed in terms of the sonic feel, like the, the texture of it, you know. Um, and it, uh, underneath are basically just acoustic songs, but I kind of produced it and was helped to produce it in a way that felt that the whole sonic landscape was portraying the emotion you know yeah there's a dystopian nature to some of the sounds i think you've you've chosen to use which do um play off the lyrics in a, in, a, in a weird way and take you in certain directions 
and it's it is interesting the way you've decided to make this because I myself love loop pedals and I think that having a loop pedal can uh, take you to places you didn't know you wanted to go. You know, embracing yeah. the accidents and that sort of thing. With um, with the fact that these are songs that will exist on their own, like with just an acoustic guitar, but it's great to take them to other places. When you play them live, I think I saw a video of you playing. Was it like a few a few months ago? You did a video where you were performing a song. Were you singing with backing tracks, or were you using a loop loop pedal to back yourself up at that point? Well, I used my loop pedal as much as possible. Yeah. But once my my album was fully produced, there are some tracks that I was just like. It's worth just doing it with the backing track. Yeah. Like, I've been adverse to backing tracks my whole life. I've always been about recreate it live, recreate it live. Mm-hmm. But sadly, in this particular scenario, we don't have the chance. I can't I can't have the nine-piece band that I yeah. need. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so during lockdown, I have I have allowed myself when I'm performing to just accept that I might need to sing to a backing track, yeah. which is cool. But most of them are recreatable live or like, for instance, Focus, one song, Through These Eyes, I think, and Petal are all right. loops be, yeah. like that I could create anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But obviously there's that slight edge with the effects and kind of more soundscapey production that, that would come yeah. from the backing track. And, you and you've stayed away from Ableton in that scenario. Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm actually quite analog, weirdly, in the yeah. things that I do. Mm. Um, but only because Ableton freaks me out. I just downloaded it to get the ninety, um, the ninety day free trial, oh, yeah. and I l- yeah. looked at it once, man, and I'm just like, what the fuck? I can't do this. Well, <laughs> like, I'll, I use I'll, I'll tell you, f- yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I used to use Logic and I've been down the Ableton road, road so many times and I've had Ableton and then Ableton push three times and uh, I learned how to use it. I know how to use it backwards, but I always step away from it. But this time, I, I went down to having the simple version with the 16 tracks and I created like, you can create like multiple loopers, eight loopers. You can also have certain scenes play beats and stuff like yeah. that. It's really powerful, you know, but don't get yourself bogged down with a keyboard. Get yourself a foot pedal and then you're okay. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And I like that anyway, just for the sake of being able to be free to yeah, to engage express and, and yeah. perform. Yeah. But, but what I would what I would say about that performance is that in your singing, you really, really, really embraced it totally. Like it was quite phenomenal to watch because you're you're living every word as you sing it. It's very powerful. Yeah, it's I, I, <laughs> that's the problem with writing songs that you really feel like now and again. I'm like, oh fuck, I'm choking up here. Yeah. Like, you know, but but it matters to me man like um and i think that's like the thing about writing stuff that is about you you know like you have to own it don't you like mm-hmm. i can't go up there mm-hmm. and and not totally own that space because i need to embody the feeling of the song and in order to feel that then i need to go back to what you know how i felt when i wrote it or what what i have now imposed as meaning for it you know yeah. so so I, I i do love that about performance in general you know and i always feel more comfortable when i'm pretending there's no one there essentially yeah you're channeling the idea and the initial inspiration um how do you then go into your commercial songwriting class and and because obviously this to you is how you express yourself it's important even if it's a pop song for it to be expressed how do you how do you tell them about access to such creativity and how it's cathartic do you mean like physical, like the fit, the, the performative element of it, or I think do you mean I, like tapping into the, I, the, yeah. the you inside? Yeah. yeah, don't be afraid of digging into yourself, cutting a well, vein. Yeah, I'm a firm believer of leading by example. 
Um, so I'm quite happy to talk them through something that I feel and mm-hmm. sing them the song that I wrote about it for the start. Yeah. But then I often use, so I've got this little theory that I, I, I used when I was creating my master's uh, degree uh, kind of thesis, which was half a creative output and half written output. And so, like, I call it your subconscious algorithm, right? So, like, especially when we're kind of, like, not allowing ourselves to, you know, we put all those um, blocks in front of us when we're writing, you know, what would other people, how would this send to someone else? Or, yeah. You know, what would all that stuff, you know? So I went through my, like, eight years of writing that was my master's degree and that's how I wrote my album Fragmentality right so Mm -hmm. I went through eight years of writing and I started to codify it so I started to like look at what were the themes that what were the words I was using um and the themes that those words were based around Mm -hmm. so rather than looking at what did this song mean I was like what are these what are my go-to words what am I using here what am I saying all the time so, like, for me, a lot of the words that I would use without really realising that they're part of my dialogue were things like, I would use really t- uh, tactile words, like, really, be like, talking about, like, sweat and fingers and bones and, like, uh, there was something about me, it's always, like, about touch and about this closeness and, you know, so I, I start by getting the students sometimes to bring in, like, you know, five songs and then work out what their subconscious is saying through them rather than what the meaning of the song is. So we do that a lot. And then we also look at this idea of finding your truth in your subconscious. So we do a lot of free writing and stuff like that and uh, trying to, like, you know, not to censor ourselves. So just, like, write what we write and then read it out, like poetry. and, And then we do, like, I do a whole kind of workshop on truth and music and emotion and this idea of, like, being able to tap into your personal truth and that's always it's usually the master students that I do that with and it's always a super emotional workshop like lots of tears and stuff like that but it's really interesting I mean some people do it naturally and then some people they they find it hard to tap into that truth but once they get there it can really open up a world for them you know yeah and some people don't want to do that and that's cool they want to write pop songs and you know and get them published and hope that someone picks them up and that's what they want to do and that's totally cool as well you know yeah. but um yeah, you're required to teach that. I mean, for me, music is an escape to your inner self. You know, other people use it as an escape to another self or another means to express, you know. It's um, it's really, really hard to make someone cut the vein, though, isn't it? They have to want to do it themselves. You know, they have to want to find that. You have to lure them into a sense of security first. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I've got you now. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah man but i think everybody does want to yeah do you know what i mean i think like especially creative folk like we were desperate to have people understand us and understand our art or at least kind of feel what we feel you know when mm-hmm. when when we feel it and so i think for some people with like making that leap it's more about just pulling a little wall in front of them down than it is about it being there or not you know mm-hmm. i think like it's always there just a case of like what they're willing to share you know yeah 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 yeah. amazing um i wonder if you'd be up for playing a song uh sure yeah <laughs> i'd love to hear you play a song if you're a game like i always ask people to do it no, no one's turned me down yet actually funnily enough <laughs> right i've tried to recreate this the best i can <laughs> after severe tech difficulties and um, sorted out my little 
microphone issue there. Right, so this song's called Sound of Kits. It's from Present Tense and I wrote it not long after the first lockdown began and we were all a bit frightened and uh, things were a bit uncertain and we had a songwriting challenge actually which was to write a song um, that came from looking out of your window and I live in a little housing scheme so um, where I live is in a terrace block and across the road is another terrace block and there's no road there's just grass in between so my little world was quite beautiful in a weird way. It was still and silent and obviously there was this horrible thing happening. But we had these little kids across the road all putting up the little rainbows and, you know, in this kind of uncertain kind of going outside and peeking out of the gardens and just there was a real sense of stillness and of nature. Um, so I wrote this song. It's called Sound of Cats. And yes, I have two cats, Stephen. <laughs> Fresh cut Patchwork lawns, crystal white, the dew at dawn, wind blows fast over concrete stone. As houses safe alone, rainbow chalk on dirty Tiny hands and the sound of cats over the sound of cars. Tally marks on prison walls.
stand still on my cross untold well and I still feel you from way out there I still hear you I still care Cool! <laughs> uh, how to put this in the context of the podcast but that was I can't I'm not going to lie like people who are listening to podcasts you just witness what happened there and uh, Becky, Becky's yeah. mic mic thing fell apart this is real life here and she she dealt with it so well but the microphone wasn't up for collaborating with us on this occasion so uh, she's going to go away and perform the song and then come back and I'm sure it'll be absolutely amazing um, thanks man I, I really it's been such a joy talking to you I can't wait to hang out in, I know in, totally right you know. and it's great I'm glad that Catherine put us in touch um, yeah and it'd be lovely to meet you and, and listen to some of your music too yeah 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 <laughs> well if you hang uh, yeah I'm going to release a video of something I recorded in the church with lots of loop pedals and using Ableton Live and it was a live take so I'm, that's going to be up on Sunday I think if I can get my head around the editing process which is fun that's super exciting and you're based in Suffolk eh at the moment yeah Oh man, yeah, that's moment. far away. But it's far away. But what I'm doing is I'm setting up gigs here, and uh, you're going to come down and play. We'll put on a show in the church. Oh, It'll be love really to nice. Do that, yeah, yeah for yeah, sure, yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah. So my next thing is I've applied for some funding to put present tense on as a proper live performance with like. A, like it will have like a screened uh, kind of video projection thing in the back mm-hmm. and like the full band backing singers and stuff and like actually to package oh. it as a cultural artifact to go through the story of postnatal depression is what it's about. Yeah. So, so like, yeah, so hopefully I'll get the funding for that. We'll see. I might not, but I'm hoping that I do. I think I'll get some of it anyway, and then I can put that mm. on. So that'll be a wee tour, hopefully a tour that can happen. But <laughs> Amazing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. When, when would you be planning on doing that? Well, just it, COVID permitting. So, like, I will yeah. have released the album. Yeah. I'm going to hold back from physically, like having any physical merch for it or physical yeah, copies. Yeah. So I'm trying to use the tour as a way to release it physically, but mm-hmm. also have that final kind of video artifact of it as well, which is mm. the full thing. So um, in my plan, like I've planned on the whole stage of development being all the way up to September, so not before September. Right. Okay. Um, and then obviously it would just be a case of booking it when it when it's when it can happen you know yeah yeah Yeah. well my idea is that even if covid restrictions come in uh there will be a venue for people to come and play in and uh, even if there's nobody there then we will live stream the event or video it and then stream it afterwards you know awesome yeah Yeah. well i'll come down with Catherine. Do, yeah, yeah, we'll put open on a great gig. It'll be brilliant if we can hang out and look at the river. Oh, I'd love that. I'd love <laughs> yeah, that yeah, so yeah. much. And oh, were right. you at Catherine's album launch then? I was. So that's when we first met, although we yeah. didn't really properly meet. No, no, I was at that. <laughs> you you opened up the show in a very, very hypnotic way as well. It was very intense. Very that's impressed. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm intense. Yeah, well, I'm not I, like, like, here I am. I'm not intense at all. Well, I'm intense, but I'm not like 
morbidly intense like I am on stage. <laughs> but No, but that's because you've got an outlet for it, you know. If, if you yeah. didn't have the outlet, you'd probably be a very different person now, you know. A hundred percent. Yeah. I'd be an angry bitch. That's the beauty of music. We have an outlet. <laughs> I'd be, I don't know who I'd be. I wouldn't be myself. Um, it's a, it's a, like, were you singing on Catherine's album on uh, Everyday Dangerous by any chance? Um, well, I might have some harmony on there. Uh, that was a song that we co-wrote together yeah. um, years ago. Right. Years ago, man. Um, what a great song that is. It's, it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 and when I was mixing that, there were so many voices in that sort of choir part like that. I was like, I wonder yeah. if you were there. Sure I don't know. I might have been. I think I might have been now. It's terrible that I don't know it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have a look at the files and let you know. <laughs> it's it's yeah. quite a distinctive voice, so it usually stands out. But... Yeah, yeah. Right, take it easy, dudes. All right. to meet you. You too. I'll see you soon, yeah? <laughs> okay, bye. Bye-bye. Bye. So there you go. That was the wonderful Becky Wallace. Thank you very, very much to her for taking the time out to appear on the show. Uh, I was truly moved. Um moved in so many ways from listening to her story and from listening to how uh, vital her position is in life and how vital her connection with music and the channeling of that to other people in her life and in her community, in her circle. Um, There's something about the roots and the seed and the leaves and the canopy and and all of that beauty that creates a tree that, that, that I think she encompasses so much of that journey from, from seed to canopy and, 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 and therefore providing an umbrella of support for those other young saplings growing up. Um, and she's just so honest in her music and, and, and I think a credit to recognition of her own journey, I think. Um, definitely moved me quite a lot talking to her and I really am excited to get to know her more and hang out and uh, do some shows in the future with her. I think it's going to be it's going to be really good to watch her career blossom more. Um, so please do go and check out our music try and support the artists go and check out the Song Seed songwriting retreats if you're songwriters because I, I honestly can't think of a better place to go and hang out and write some songs her energy is amazing and go and check out her music that's uh, beckywallace.net and uh, keep your keep your ear to the ground on this one keep your ear to the ground and enjoy in the meantime I hope you've been inspired to uh, put pen to paper um, head to the wind mouth of the ocean, whatever it is. Wish you all the best. Thanks for tapping the floor.